Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. I'm Pete Wright, and today that's Steve Rogers just hanging around the carrier again. (laughs) Today we're talking about Minute 88, which begins with Tony spinning engine 3F and ends with Loki making his escape. Back on the show from a few weeks ago, we've got Curtis Findlay back in the house. Hello, Curtis. Hello, hello. I am happy to be back again for yet another Marvel Movie Minute. A dizzying minute at that. (laughs) Oh, indeed. Indeed. I gotta say, I had a hard time coming up with stuff to talk about in this minute, because it is just kind of one long extended sequence, and uh, so... (laughs) I'm going to have to see where you you two are going to lead us in this conversation. Well, you know, Curtis, there is a guy with a full face mask shooting a weapon. I'm sure Andy will make us play the IMDb game with him. So we know we have that. (laughs) Unfortunately, no. Gosh, you know, so many of these uh, these stunt people performing as these utility players in so many of these sequences and the battles and stuff they're just uh they're not credited well they often have uh too much stuff on to really tell who they are and on imdb they don't necessarily always have their pictures on there so it's hard to say who is most of these people so that's one of the unfortunate things about um about all of this is we just don't have as easy a time uh pinpointing as all of these people as much as i would like yeah but yes, that person is in this minute. Sure. <laughs> that person is present. <laughs> in a minute with only only really four people. We've got Tony and Steve and Loki and then this stunt player. So I want to start off, though, because right away and, you know, we're you know, we record these out of order as we're um, you know, doing this season. And so who knows if we've ended up having this conversation. But in Tony's HUD. We actually, like right at the start of this minute, as he is inside the engine spinning it up, we see him struggling trying to get this thing started up so that this helicarrier doesn't plummet down into New Jersey. But we do have an altimeter, and we see that at the point at the start of this minute, we're at about 12,850 feet up, which is really not very high. And in the scope of what we were talking about, as far as like an aircraft uh, creating that suction effect where it'd pull you out, uh, that sort of thing, or breathability, it's really over 15,000 feet. So it, uh, I guess it makes sense that that they are all able to be fine at this altitude. It's not going to create any problems. It may be hard for Clint to breathe when he's up there walking across the helicarrier deck, but it's, I guess, potentially not entirely unlikely. So just want to clear that up. You gotta wonder though, with those huge propellers that the that that the helicarrier has, if it's really not that high, what kind of effect does it have on the ground below? Like, are the people who are just walking down below like, <laughs> man, it sure's windy right here, or yeah, something like that? <laughs> Particularly when it is cloaked, because yeah, they look yeah. up. It's like, a clear what? day. <laughs> Why is there this one really windy spot right here where I can, Mike, I'm, I'm have my dog on his leash and he's like well, blowing away? Even that, you guys, like just looking at the first few seconds of this minute, how are there any clouds below the helicarrier at this altitude? <laughs> yeah. Shouldn't it right. be completely clear space? Like just. Well, not just below them, but the helicarrier would be blowing the clouds away. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's yeah. funny. I mean, they are, yeah, they are very, very low clouds. You can have low clouds. Though. You have to wonder if like the principal engineers behind the helicarrier look at this thing in action and are like, you know, we're a little misguided on everything that we planned with this thing. It's kind of <laughs> silly. Oh, well. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it, you know, it's a helicarrier. Is, is there ever a helicarrier that ever made sense? Of all the helicarriers in the comics, perhaps this one might make the most sense, at least as far as design, but still. <laughs> yeah, right. By conceit, it is kind of a, a silly, very comic booky yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, speaking of HUDs again, though, I you know there's there's another uh, after we get the altitude shot uh, when we come back to it and we see Tony he's spinning the engine and the helicarrier is riding itself. So even though it's still only three engines, he is able to kind of get it going. We do see something, and again, I don't know exactly what his percentages are, but it looks like. And again, the the HUD is a little tricky to read when we're looking at Tony's face because everything is backward. But it looks like it says right unit and then something about power. And it's at a 312%. Now, we were talking about this, Pete. You love the 400 and whatever, 19% when, so when many Tony percent. gets charged up, yeah. charged up with uh, um, uh, the lightning that Thor brings down on him. But, <laughs> like, how does it have such a high percentage? I uh, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a strange bit. I also want to say, though, as we see this, we we come in on seeing the helicarrier as it is riding itself and Tony is spinning around in the engine. All of those, uh, the the jets that we have, the Quinjets, the, all the other aircraft that we have parked on the helicarrier, it's amazing the whatever it, it they did to lock all of those vehicles in place. Like they aren't moving at all. Like they are doing a great job of staying on the <laughs> on the deck and not slipping off. They're giving it two hundred percent, Andy. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, how many percent? Ugh. You know the uh, let, going back to your the three hundred and twelve. Yeah, right under. I don't know uh, if we get to the fourteenth second, it starts flashing critical velocity underneath. Right. Yeah. So is he going, you know, 300%? Like if he, if his top speed, safe top speed of his armor is 100%, now he's going 312%? Right. And he's going way, way too fast? That I mean, that's the only way the math works. It just seems like such a strange thing to put in here. And the reason it got so confusing was uh, around the the overcharge in the minute with the in the forest fight right that it it and and to your point i mean obviously 100% has to be a fixed number and we're just you know it's just another way of you know writing a a fraction with a denominator of 100 so i i mean it's fine you, uh, but but it is very it just seems very confusing for the computer to be arbitrarily it feels arbitrarily calculating percentages for movie percentages and not math <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know. But that's, um, yeah, the, yeah. But yeah. you're right. It has to be calculating off of a fixed number that is probably the safe velocity. Well, and, and what's interesting about this 312% is it has an image next to it that looks like the arc reactor in his chest. Uh, although it says right unit, I still don't know what right unit means next to that. Uh, but yeah, the critical velocity propulsion core, something or other thrusters, it does make me wonder, to your point, 
uh, Curtis, that what Tony is doing here inside this engine is pushing his uh, his abilities well past the point where they're supposed to be to the point where he's actually operating at 312 percent. He's he's at a point where he can't operate anymore, which makes sense, because what we see at this point is he actually slow. He, like he can't keep up anymore. Like now the engine is actually starting to work the way it's supposed to and it's spinning faster and faster and faster and it catches him in it yeah which i i again i i question how this plays although in the world of making a movie you know sure why not um you know he just bounces around under it because he's iron man and his suit's fine but i do i I think there's something really interesting about the that whole design element of this is this person who's trying to help and he just can't like it's it's going so fast now, he just can't do it, and I, I think that it is kind of it plays in a way where I think it's kind of fun. Yeah, but what's the connection between how all of that plays and the red handle? Like by the time the red handle gets pulled, <laughs> well, he's already <laughs> zipping around underneath the blade. <laughs> like I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't. Well, okay, because earlier when they're talking about the red handle, he says uh, that you know, see that red handle? If you pull it, it will slow the rotors down long enough so I can get out. And I don't know, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if that's that. what actually happens, <laughs> because it doesn't seem to slow down at all. It just seems eventually, I mean, I guess it does, but well, he see, just kind of I slips think, out the bottom. I think he's already, I think that whether or not Steve had pulled the red handle, Tony's Tony's thing would have played out exactly the way he played out. Like, he has already fallen underneath the rotors and then fallen out, and it just so happens that Steve pulled the handle. But I don't I don't think they were related. I think it was Steve was too late, but Tony survived. Can, explain to me, though, like how how it all works, because when you see him fall out from underneath, like what is he bouncing around in? Like we see him slip under it. I thought there are two propellers and one of them wasn't working or like one of them was still going and Tony had to get the top one going. And so then he got stuck in between the two propellers. I definitely see two propellers. Yes, there there are two for sure. I just I I don't know. I guess I had a sense that they were that they're both spinning, and it seems like there's an awful lot of sky I see as they spin. It's like it seems getting caught between them just seems like I don't know. It, it seems like that shot is very specifically created to make it seem like there's just this little tiny space and you're going to get stuck in it and it just like when you see it from underneath i'm like well it seems like there's a little more space he probably could have been okay but if they're between the propellers though that wasn't a big space the sky we're seeing is above both propellers yeah sure it's just there's a lot of window as the propellers all spin yeah to potentially fall between (laughs) but they're going so fast Red lever. I, I mean, he had to really red lever it. Can well, we make that yeah, a thing? Gu- <laughs> you really got to red lever it. I guess it's it is one of those things where, <laughs> as I watch it, I I feel like that sh- the side shot where you know we're inside the engine, essentially like looking horizontally at that very tiny space that's just barely person sized. It feels like we're seeing that shot only because they want to make it seem like he's really trapped in in a real predicament a real tight spot here because then when we cut below it's like oh well there's probably a little more room for you there i don't know it's just funny it's just funny the way that they constructed (laughs) to make it seem even worse yes okay yeah all right but so anyway so 
Tony gets it going, and this was his whole thing, is is getting this thing going so that the helicarrier doesn't crash into New Jersey, and now they're up and away and back up into the clouds. And uh, we, we do cut to Steve, and this, I mean, the banter between them, I think, is actually quite a bit of fun. And, you know, we had Steve... He had fallen, uh, slipped out, and he grabbed onto this wire, and he's dangling. And just just Tony's line readings here, like the way that uh, Robert Downey Jr. plays him, or Cap at the lever, lever now. Like, I don't know. I just, I find him doing it really well, like these moments with him in this particular point. Um, the banter between these two characters works well in this scene. Always. Yeah, I, I think that they are, I mean, they're just funny, and it just goes to show you, right, because we're coming off of the great uh, argument in the colorectal laboratory. Yeah. And that's where we get to see them, how they fight against one another when there is no other emergency. But as soon as there is another emergency, they're able to rise to the challenge together as and, and you know, put all those differences behind them. And I, that's part of the archetype of their relationship. And I, I, I find that really satisfying. I like the way they play it. The banter is also, it, it, it shows off their characters so well because Cap is a guy that only talks when he needs to when he's in battle. And Tony is just always making the cracks. And so even though he's going, a handle, a handle, like that's still a very Tony thing that he would say in the heat of the moment. Yeah. Does it seem like his suit should have been a little more damaged? Does it come out okay where it's really just like he, he takes a little longer getting kind of his repulsors um, working, but does it does it play for you? Or does it seem like he should have been a little more banged up. Ripped to shreds. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> ripped to shreds. There's no amount of padding inside that armor that's going to, like, not give him a concussion from all of that. <laughs> yeah. So Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yep. Or, I mean, this is something else. Like, when he's spinning around under there, I mean, it could completely still bend his arm the wrong way. Yeah. Like, it's not like that suit keeps him from, like, moving in ways that he's not supposed to. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And it's the same thing as, like, when, when he gets when Cap and Iron Man are fighting in Civil War at the very end and they're just punching each other in the faces and stuff, they, they come away with a few cuts, but really they should be completely mangled. Yeah, right. But that's the PG rating right here for you, or PG-13 or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. PG-13, exactly, yeah. No, that's and that's what we get. It's a comic book movie, and that's what they say. It's like, you know, it's a comic book movie. It's obviously, he's not going to get damaged like he would if it was the real, if it was a real helicarrier. I mean, come on, we all know what happens when people really get damaged in a helicarrier engine. <laughs> I mean, I remember the last time I was damaged in a helicarrier engine. It wasn't pretty. <laughs> right. So, all right. So Tony does fall out. He gets his uh, his suit is working well enough, and now he is able to go help Cap. Uh, so we see Steve. He makes it. He climbs back up. He flips the lever, and then of course he still has this one guy to contend with here. Now you know we've been kind of doing this count over the course of the Battle of the Helicarrier here, and this guy. It really it really depends on how many people ended up getting taken out in the bridge. That's really our place where um, numbers don't necessarily, you know, don't completely add up as far as uh, how many people there were. If it was just four that they either shot or knocked out in the bridge, then this is number seven of our people. If it was five people, then this is number eight of our people. And again, that pretty much is everybody who was on the, <laughs> on the Quinjet. So, 
I'm not sure if somebody changed sides at some point and decided, you know what? I think I'm going to join this Loki guy. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's what happened. <laughs> maybe they had a guy on the on the bridge who was part of their team. I don't know. Yeah, some I- insurrectionists. This guy's still wearing the jet uh, oxygen mask, though, so yeah. he wouldn't have just come off of the bridge. That's true. But one of the guys that was killed on the bridge could have been. Like, we, we only see a few of them through the doorway, so it's hard. Right, so, so maybe yeah. one of those guys wasn't wearing it. Yeah. This guy is the one that we have seen fighting Cap. So Cap had three guys earlier. We had, um, and we didn't really talk about this, but when Clint, uh, back in minute 74, when you were on, Clint sends people different places, and he sends three people to uh, make sure the engine doesn't get repaired. This is one of those three. One was thrown off by uh, Steve. One is theoretically still laying on the ground just um, just outside the doorway when um, where uh, this guy is. And then this is the third guy. And then you have the one guy in the uh, detention center and then all the rest were at the bridge with Clint. So uh, who knows? As far as we know, though, Loki does make it out. And hops onto the Quinjet and takes off. And so we know that there's at least Loki. And we see through the inside. There's nobody else in it with him. So it's only Loki. Everyone else was left behind. Yeah. But I'm assuming the pilot made it. We have at least one pilot still flying this thing. I don't think Loki can yet (laughs) fly things with his mind. So here's a question, though. Is Loki concerned that Clint specifically isn't here? Doesn't You don't think uh, Loki has a look of... Of mourning that his that his buddy, his best shield buddy, isn't there. Like as you look at the back of his head, lifting off the very last shot of his face as he turns. I don't know if I'm seeing. Dang it! They got Clint. Yeah. Like is that is that regret? Is that what Loki regret looks like? <laughs> I don't think so. I think in our very next minute we're going to see him uh, smiling. So not yeah. having regret. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, this, uh, you know, this speaks to what we talked about, uh, Curtis, when you were first on here. What was the end game of this whole thing? Was it just chaos and disruption? Because, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe at this point, Loki got what he needed out of Clint. Yeah, Clint was just fodder like the rest of them, probably. Yeah, once he got the uh, iridium from from the, the uh, security facility in Stuttgart, maybe that was it. But you guys, Loki knows. Clint has heart. Does that count for nothing? <laughs> <laughs> apparently, apparently it counts for nothing. <laughs> you have heart. Enough, enough for me to get what I need and then be done with you. Yeah. I guess that's it. Well, this is the end of this particular minute. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about more of this. Is there any last thoughts about this or should we just save it for tomorrow? Uh, I think we'll have a lot to talk about tomorrow. All right. Uh, Curtis, tell everybody again uh, about uh, your show and where they can find it. Well, you can go over to epicmarvelpodcast.com and uh, find my podcast. It's called The Epic Marvel Podcast, and we just talk about old Marvel comics, and I talk to comic book writers and artists as well. And uh, you can also find me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all of those fun places where I talk about comic booky things, mostly Marvel. Just look for either my name, or Epic Marvel Podcast. And your name is Curtis with a K. Oh, yeah. Curtis with a K. Findley with a, with a D and an A. There's so many different ways to spell it. <laughs> but if you do a search, I'm sure you'll find it even if you spell it wrong. Especially if you look up Epic Marvel Podcast. That's a great way to track them down. 
Well, that is it. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about Minute 89. So uh, thanks so much, Curtis. Uh, It's been a wonderful conversation. Definitely. And Pete, thanks as always. Tomorrow, Coulson finally transfers to Tahiti. (laughs) Aw. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. <laughs>